0: Wow. Thank you, choir and band. Yeah. You have made us eager to worship with you already this morning. To the rest of you all, church, friends, and guests, the Lord be with you. And as we gather for worship this morning, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Today is a very special day in the life of the church, and it's one that might not necessarily be on your radar. Today is Ascension Sunday. So you might have woke up this morning and thought, hey, it's the first day of the week. We get to worship together. It's going to be beautiful weather, might be able to be outside. But you might not have thought it's Ascension Sunday, and that is a great, great thing to celebrate as well. But also Ascension Sunday is one of those days on the church calendar that we sometimes struggle to say, What is it, and why does that matter again? Thankfully, there are some great questions and answers in the Heidelberg Catechism, one of our confessions of faith, and we're going to recite those together or responsively as our call to worship this morning. They're question and answer 46 and 49. So I invite you to join me. I'll be the one. You be the all. Where it says together, what do you mean when you say, He ascended to heaven? That Christ... While his disciples watched, was lifted up from the earth to heaven and will be there for our good until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of the Father. Second, we have in heaven our own flesh. A guarantee that Christ is our head and that he will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. Third, he sends his spirit on us, on earth, as a further guarantee. By the spirit's power, we make the goal of our lives, not earthly things, things below, but the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So friends, we gather to worship today, especially the risen Lord Jesus who has ascended and is at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. Let's stand and sing together.
1: be seated friends would you join me in your hearts in prayer God of all power and majesty you created the heavens and stretched them out you formed the earth and all that comes from it you give the breath of life to all who walk on the face of the earth Jesus our great high priest you conquered sin and death and now reign victorious having ascended to heaven and being seated at the right hand of God. Because you lived as one of us, wearing human flesh, walking this earth, being tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin, you fully empathize with our weaknesses. And Jesus, even beyond that, with all power and authority, you also act for our good. You intercede on our behalf, and you invite us to approach your throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so we approach your throne of grace this morning together and admit that we are in need. All creation groans to be liberated from its bondage to decay, and we too groan as we eagerly await our adoption and the redemption of our bodies. There is much that is wrong that needs to be made right by you, O God. And so we watch and wait for the new things you are bringing through the Holy Spirit here in our local area and around the world through your church worldwide. And so we ask for your help to be your agents here on earth as your kingdom is on the move. Open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts to notice where you are at work. And use our hands, our feet, and our voices to join you in your saving act Of restoration and repair in this world, in our world, in our real lives. Where we have been corrupt, purify us. Where we have been in error, direct us. Where we have given ourselves to unworthy goals, reform us. Where we have sinned, forgive us, and help us to forgive each other for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We ask to be part of the solution, and even still, Our hope for a new creation is not tied to what humans can do. For we believe that one day every challenge to God's rule will be crushed. His kingdom will fully come and the Lord will rule. We long for that day when our bodies are raised, the Lord wipes away our tears and we dwell forever in the presence of God. We will take our place in the new creation where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain and the Lord will be our light. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We lift before you our prayers this morning, spoken and shared, as well as those that are unspoken but reverberate in our hearts. In the name of our risen and ascended Lord, who loves us, knows us, and intercedes on our behalf. Amen. I invite you to stand again once more and let's sing together when I think about the Lord. Thank you
2: star E Amém.
1: Christ, it is because of Jesus' life, death and resurrection that we have peace not only with God, but also with one another. The peace of Christ be with with you. As you are comfortable, I invite you to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor.
3: Good morning. My name is Bryce Vanderselt, I'm the minister of youth and young adults here at Fellowship where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. And this morning uh, I get the chance to share some of the ways that we do that. One way is through our connection cards. If you're new here or if you've been around actually in the middle of the service I pause to actually read the connection card because we mention it every week. And at the bottom of my notes it says visitor. Mem- you have the option of marking visitor, member, regular, attender, or I'd like to talk with someone, please contact with me. So these cards actually have multiple uses. Maybe you're new. We'd like to know that you're here and welcome you well. Uh, maybe you've been here for a while and you have something on your heart and you'd like to talk to someone and you say, I'm not sure how to bring it up. These cards are a great way to do that. So you can either hand this in the uh, offering bowl at the back of the sanctuary. There's also a QR code you can scan To do that online. Speaking of things that you can put in the offering bowl or scan a QR code to do online, uh, giving is a way that we fund as a community the uh, ministries that we do here at Fellowship. So if you are a regular attender, if you're a member, we encourage you to uh, give to the mission of Fellowship. Again, there's a QR code on the back of the bulletin. You can also uh, give check or cash into the bowl in the back. While we're on the bulletin, Uh, If you haven't, I invite you to open this up. Every week, there's a lot of information in the bulletin. This week, I just want to draw our attention uh, to a number of things. We're going to start out with some prayer concerns. Uh, First of all, we'd like to express our sympathy to Amy Dykema and her family on the passing of Amy's dad this past week. We also want to extend our sympathy to Sue Cole and her family on the passing of her father as well. Also, you'll notice on the top of that, uh, Roger Rowe, Uh, is recovering from surgery that he had on May 17. He is at home uh, as he continues his battle with ALS, and he is currently on hospice care. So continue to keep that family in your prayers as well. In this other section of the announcements, if you look under announcements, uh, you've heard us talk about this a few times. We are changing our church database. I saw everyone collectively lean in and say, tell me more about the (laughs) database. Uh, but listen to this. I mean, this is this is a blurb right here. Church Center is a platform designed for con- for congregations and allows you to explore, engage and get involved in three easy steps. If you thought it was hard to get involved in a church, it's not. It's easy. You just scan this QR code and follow the steps, download the app on your phone, and it will connect you in a, different, in a number of different ways. If that sounds like gibberish to you and you're like, QR code, I don't understand. Or if you're just lazy and you don't want to download it on your own. <laughs> we have people out there today that want to help you and answer questions. So either way, Steve Braunius is out there and he told me, much like Moses is de- dedicated himself to leading the Israelites to the promised land, Steve is dedicated to getting us to this new database. (laughs) I trust trust in this case he'll make it there with us, but he'll he'll get us there one way or another. Uh, It's a little Bible humor for the Sunday morning. Uh, What else do we have to talk about? Uh, Connect cards, giving. Oh, look, it's the next thing in your bulletin. Uh, Special needs missional community is looking for help. Now, the special needs missional community, one of the things that we have, I said our mission statement a little bit ago, and the first part of our mission statement says that we wanna be an accepting community. When we say that, we might mean a couple of things. We might mean, oh, we're accepting anyone can come into the building. And some of us might stop and say, there, we're accepting, people are here. But there are more steps to go in our mission. Our mission to be an accepting community is really this mission to enable people in our community to more engage with the life here at Fellowship. And this missional community with the special needs missional community, they've been doing this for years. From trying to say, how does does our building function for people with special needs? Uh, Are there children in our congregation? All the way from children in worship and above through high school. As a youth leader, I've experienced this team a number of ways as they offer uh, support. Uh, for students and they're asking for help so if you read that and you're like i'm interested in helping out with the special needs missional community but i don't know if i have the skills for that i want you to pause and i want you to re- rewind your brain and just stop at the part where you say i'm interested in that and i would like to learn more uh, at the welcome center right out there there's information i always tell my leaders when i'm trying to recruit them to be a youth leader agreeing to get information is not signing up it's just agreeing to get more information so if you're at all interested I think you'll be surprised at how you could use your skills that you have to help out that missional community. And finally, the most important announcement of the year for fellowship. Next week is Pentecost. If you've been around for a while, that means that uh, a tradition is to wear red at Pentecost. So uh, just a heads up, you do not have to wear red, but I want to give everyone a warning. If you have that one red shirt that you only wear this one time a year for the church service... Next week is it. And if you don't, just don't be surprised when you come in and there's a bunch of other people in red. But that is uh, for Pentecost, uh, and you'll see a lot of red next week. Finally, uh, kids, if you are ages 3 through 5th grade, you are dismissed for Sunday school. And I have the honor of saying for this next song, you get to remain seated. So let's worship together. (laughs) ¶¶
2: For oh,
4: Let's pray. Because we are hid, hidden in you, O Christ, we can be assured of your love for us, of your grace that you have bestowed upon us, and of your desire for us to know you and love you more fully. And so we pray that as we engage with your word this morning, we might be more assured of your love for us and live in response to that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, a corner has been turned... A clock is ticking, and the days are numbered for some of us in our midst. Certainly for teachers and students, you know exactly how many days you have left, do you not, of school before summer is here. We are nearing the end, and in fact, there are some among us who are even done already. Come on, seniors, woo-woo, you're done with classes, congratulations. Uh, what a great feeling, I'm sure, to be done with high school as you anticipate graduation. And I'm sure that the rest of us are similarly, maybe with just a little bit less enthusiasm, anticipating the end of our Eastertide series, right? I mean, you just can't wait for that to happen in summer to come. Yes, we are still in Easter season, and we have have been considering the resurrection appearances uh, all throughout Scripture, and this morning we're taking a turn. We've been uh, studying those resurrection appearances in the Gospels, and this morning we're going to hear from uh, one of Paul's letters, his letter to the church in Corinth, and we're going to consider that the resurrection is consequential. And we're also going to consider uh, the fifth of our five G's of the Wayfinder uh, getting right. To do that, let's listen for the word of the Lord from First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you want to follow along in your, the Bible that's in the chairs, uh, it's on page 935 if you want to jump to it. Now I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you stand, and through which you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you've come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I had in turn received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James and to all of the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But... By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim to you, and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. I remember vividly very, very few lunches in college, but a few of them stand out, and one in particular I was reminded of this week. A friend and I were in the cafeteria at Wittenberg University discussing the significant consequences of the day's events. It was September 11, 2001, and our morning had been flipped upside down when the classes were canceled and we were gathered together around TVs in our dorm rooms watching the events of the day, watching as a second plane flew into the World Trade Center. It was a morning like no other morning. It was chaotic, consequential for sure, and the effects of that morning would only be speculation at that point which made for a particularly lively discussion at lunch, especially at our table as we considered the possibilities of war, maybe even in our own country, unknowing what was going to happen. Other days seem to mark time like that, don't they? Days when you know you're going to remember when and where you were when you heard of this thing that happened. Maybe a few of us were even around when bombs were dropped on Pearl Harbor on December 7 of 1941. Maybe uh, many of us might have remembered when President John F. Kennedy was shot in his motorcade in Texas on, December, or on November 22 of 1963. Or maybe some of us even remember Neil Armstrong taking one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind on July 20, 1969. We remember these days alongside the modern world because of their magnitude, because of their consequential nature, and also, also because of how prolific they are. I mean, how many TVs do you think were not turned on on September 11 between 8 a.m. and noon? How many newspapers on September 12 didn't have the headline with that iconic picture of the World Trade Centers and dust flowing up? How many syndicates on radio programs in the weeks, days and weeks to follow wouldn't be predicting what was going to happen next? News of these events and the national dialogue that surrounded them seemed to cover and reach every single person in our country. In contrast, so it seems maybe at first glance, is the news of the resurrection. We have here in Paul's letter, likely one of the first recorded that we still have, recordings of of the resurrection, a letter written to a 100-ish people at the church in Corinth. Not only that, but Paul's letter uh, says that some couple dozen apostles and disciples saw Jesus, maybe 500 gathered together, might have seen Jesus. That's it really? The most consequential news in all of world history was witnessed by, at best, a couple hundred people? Really? I mean, there's some teenagers in her midst that might have an Instagram reel that has more likes than that. I mean, come on, that's peanuts, isn't it? Well, Paul's letter, though, makes it abundantly clear. The resurrection was not only plausible, but it was the most consequential event in all of world history he knew that the resurrection was, had, had changed and was going to change everything. To understand the magnitude of this claim by Paul, I think we first need to consider very briefly a little bit of the context of, of the letter, of the people that, that Paul was writing to. He was writing to the church in Corinth, a group of disciples that Paul had already witnessed to in person. It says that because he's reminding them in verse 1. A hundred-ish people about uh, who Jesus is. But in spite of the church's very small size of that church in Corinth, the church struggled mightily discerning how this faith in Jesus was going to impact them as individuals and really impact them as a community together. They struggled with unity because there were some that had uh, this strong allegiance to Paul as the, the primary leader, and some had this strong allegiance to Apollos as their primary leader. They struggled living in communion with one another because they, they had different convictions about some certain things, and so they had a hard time with unity. They struggled uh, living in, in in the town of Corinth, a bustling Greek-Roman t- town that had a very different worldviews than the, the Christians did, and so they had, didn't know how to, how to live with them and witness to the community and also live in differentiation from that community. I mean, their struggle was real. I'd hate to be in their shoes. I mean, what would it be like to have questions about leadership and have allegiances to two different people? I mean, I wonder what it would be like to to have a hard time relating with one another when you had so many differences in, in our midst. I mean, I wonder what it would be like to be a part of a church that sometimes stood in sharp contrast to the culture. Can you imagine what that would be like? The letter as a whole is Paul's pastoral response to the multitude of issues that the people of Corinth faced. And chapter 15 is his conclusion to the comments on on all sorts of different issues, but it's his final appeal. It's his most important stuff. If you can, you can disagree on all this other stuff, Paul is essentially saying, but this stuff, you can't disagree on this resurrection of Jesus stuff. You might be questioning a lot of things, but this is of most high importance because without the resurrection he would go on to say in verse 12 of this chapter your faith is laughable your faith is to be pitied your faith is even to be ashamed of unity is only possible if you hold fast to the resurrection of Jesus Christ This is your defining center, people of of Corinth. This 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 is it. This is the essence of your faith. The scripture said it. Christ died. Christ died on the cross. And three days later, he was resurrected bodily. This is who you are. This is who you follow. This is your defining center. But how can Paul be so sure of this? How can he be so sure of the resurrection that this is the most important thing? Why is it so important? I think this short passage of 11 verses gives us three uh, quick little reasons why Paul was so convinced of the resurrection. First is that Jesus' resurrected body did appear to many people, not just a handful of people that believed in him, but folks that didn't even believe in him yet. Male and female, all sorts of people, some 500 plus people did encounter the bodily resurrected Jesus, which is really important. And some of them are still living, which is really important because for people in Corinth, this would have been... Mind blowing. This would have been totally unfathomable because, in that time, in that place, in that world, they believed in a resurrection of some sort, but it wasn't the resurrection of a bodily resurrection. It was the resurrection of a spirit or just the essence of who you are. Maybe you could be incarnated in an animal or some other thing, but nobody believed in the bodily resurrection of any person. It would be an oxymoron to them. We believe in bodies. We believe in resurrection. But to put those together would be like mm, a bright darkness or a married bachelor. It didn't make sense. And so Paul is saying, I know this is hard to believe. I get that this is a change in your mindset. But there's no reason for these people to lie about this. There are so many people. Just ask them the question. Did you see Jesus' bodily resurrection? The second reason that he's most convinced of the resurrection being so important, and it might be the most compelling reason for us today, is that there's the people that testified to Jesus' resurrection were literally risking their very lives in doing so. In verse 12, Jesus' resurrection is not true. If Jesus is not the conqueror of sin and death and the resurrection didn't happen, Christians are to be pitied. Your faith is in vain. Why? Why? Because in choosing to testify to the bodily resurrection of Jesus, they were choosing a life of suffering, a life of martyrdom in many cases. For the sake of an untrue gospel, who would do that? And not only were they risking their lives, they were certainly risking their social lives because they would have been isolated, kicked out of the synagogue for believing that Jesus was the Messiah and or they were kicked out of their society, scoffed at by the people that, the, the, the Greek people that lived in those times. It would have been costly to testify to Jesus as a, a resurrect, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was convinced that the resurrection was legit because he knew people who gave up their lives for its cause. Which brings us to the third and final reason Paul was so convinced. It's because he, too, had an encounter with this risen Jesus. He's, of course, he's referencing his conversion story on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter, chapter 9 as one who was untimely born, it says. His life before encountering Jesus was, in Paul's eyes, dead born into death, not living, in fact, robbing life from those who testified to Jesus. He was one who sought out Christians for their demise. He broke up families. He brutalized fathers. He, he dragged women into jail and separated them from their families until, until, until he literally encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and was saved by his grace. It was a miracle. It was unbelievable. It was an oxymoron. Saul, the killer of Christians, became Paul, the great missionary of Christ. The only reason that this could ever have happened is if he encountered the risen Lord. So Paul is reminding the people of Corinth of what is of first importance, the essence of their faith, the defining center. Jesus, the one who was crucified, died, and was buried, was also bodily, rose from the dead, and is still alive. No news can be more consequential than this. I know because hundreds testify to it. I know because they risk their lives in doing so. And I know because it has even changed me, the worst of sinners. Paul's final appeal, Paul's Hail Mary at the end, his final arguments his def- of defense to this people of Corinth is if I can't get you to agree on this, you'll never agree on anything. Have you allowed yourself to consider how Christ's resurrection from the dead changes you, changes us as a community? For Paul, the resurrection was consequential because it put into perspective all of their other issues, the, all of the other issues the Corinthians faced. One of the great opportunities, I think, that we have as individuals and as a community is not how we claim this reality. But how we live into this reality. How do we, Fellowship Church, live as a community, live as though the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our defining center? How do we keep Christ at the center even amidst some significant differences that exist between us? How do we maintain unity without uniformity? One of the tools that we've been introducing the last month or so is the Wayfinder series from Colossians Forum. It's a process for us to engage in conflict, to engage in differences as Christians. And I think it's really a good tool for life in our relationships with one another. It's not jumping to fighting it out with one another. It's not also jumping to fleeing and running away and putting, or putting something under the rug. It's moving towards our challenges with faithful postures instead of moving away from them and ignoring their pain. And so we've introduced you to four, the first four Gs. Going towards one another, engaging relationally, even when it's hard. Going Godward, acknowledging that we need God's help. And going, getting curious with one another about who someone else is and what God might be up to in their life. And, finally, or, and fourthly, going deep, engaging personally with another, honestly, as humans, acknowledging that we're all trying our best. And today we're going to consider getting right. What do they mean by getting right? It seems to me that getting right is the work of reconciliation, even amidst difference, even amidst the hurts, even amidst conflict that we live in, in our relationships with one another, and our uh, relationship with God even. And it involves two things. Examining our intentions and owning the implications of our actions. Examining our intentions is getting honest about our heart and what was going on when we engaged in this conflict or why we believe so passionately about something that we believe in. More often than not, my hunch is that we as Christians are uh, intending to do good. We want people to flourish. We want to be in relationship with one another, which is why owning the impact of who we are is so important. Even amidst, maybe even neutral, even good intentions. Owning our impact is taking responsibility for the pain that we might have caused another person. Maybe a story would be most helpful here. Recently, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who perceived some of my actions as distancing or fleeing or moving away from them. The story that they wrote was that I didn't care about them as much anymore, and it made them curious about our friendship and what it meant to me. Did I intend to hurt this person? Absolutely not. Did the actions I unknowingly take have an impact on them? Yes. And so I can take responsibility for the ways in which my actions had an impact on them. And so we were able to talk and get right by sharing some of the stories that we'd written in our heads and acknowledging that we might have acted in a way that might have hurt one another. It is in acknowledging these two things that we were able to get right. It's kind of an ambiguous story. So I have a, another example that I heard on the radio recently that I think is a really powerful example of, of, of two people that have differing experiences of one thing, getting right by acknowledging intentions, or uh, acknowledging intentions and owning the implications of their, their actions. It's a story that I heard on the radio between uh, two people that were having a conversation with one another. Steve Ankerstar is a retired U.S. Air Force major who in 2003, following the effects of 2011, was one of the people that flew a Nighthawk stealth fighter jet and actually dropped some bombs on Baghdad uh, back in 2003. And he's talking to Shema Khalil, was an Iraqi woman who 20 years ago was a teenager living in Baghdad right beside where these bombs were were laid. As you listen to this little podcast, I'm going to try something new. Uh, We're going to listen to something without seeing a video. Uh, It's a a couple minutes long, so I, I encourage you to stick with it. But as you're listening, I hope that you'll hear Shema asking and Steve responding in their intent uh, in what happened on that day, but also acknowledging the impact of their actions. Listen in, and I think you'll get what I'm talking about.
5: Hi, Shema. I'm Steve.
6: Hi, Steve. Can you describe the first time you shoot targets in Baghdad? And do you fully know that there are no civilians close to The places that you targeted?
5: My targets were a command center and then a command bunker. I flew in, was able to hit both of those uh, successfully uh, and then head back home. I would assume that these facilities were operational and I would assume that, of course, if they're operational, there's going to be people in them. So I, I wasn't naive to that. Shema, what I would like to ask you, I can't really even imagine what it was like being on the ground during any of the attack, let alone being on the ground as a teenager during that time. So what was your perspective uh, that night? And were you in proximity to any of the explosions? Or, or what can you share from your experience?
6: I will never forget that night because we were living in a place surrounded by different government buildings. So there is like many bombings close to our area. We were living like in the fourth level in the building and my mom and dad trying to keep us together and calm down us and said, we will go downstairs. It was really crowded on the stairs because all the people pushing each other, they just want to survive and go downstairs before something happened. So we found a small park. It's close to our building and we sat on the ground all together. We try to close our eyes, close our ears. When the bombing happens, I remembered I lost hearing for 10 minutes or fifteen minutes.
5: Certainly, I, I couldn't even imagine uh, that experience on the ground. And the intention of the US plan was targeting the Iraqi military forces, and I can totally empathize with the feeling of there's uh, you know no place to hide and, and no place to feel safe when you're under that kind of attack.
6: When the U.S. asked you to join the war of 2003, were there any doubts? And did you think about the consequences?
5: Well, yes, uh, we th- thought about that quite a bit as we were asked to to go forth and, and do our portion of the mission. Yeah, I can only speak for myself, but at that time as a service member, it was apparent to me that we did need to go in and remove Saddam Hussein uh, from power. the How we did that and the expectations of not only disabling the Iraqi military forces, but how the Iraqi people were going to accept us after that, I don't think that was necessarily thought through as uh, much as it could have.
6: It's hard. I know that you are part of the operation and you follow the, the orders or the instructions. But I know this is something bigger than me and you.
5: Are you hopeful that things are going to be better in 20, 30 years from now between U.S. and Iraqi relations? Or are are you pessimistic in that so much damage has been done that there might not be a good way forward in the future?
6: I think I have hope because if you don't have hope, we can't live so as much as we can open Spaces for learning from each other, talking to each other. I think this will make change.
5: I certainly agree, uh, Shema, that I'm also hopeful that things improve between U.S. Iraqi relations over time. And I agree that communicating people's experiences and feelings and then drawing lessons from both of those will be worth it not only to repair the damage that has been done, but also to be useful as a case study for the future. So even though, you know, what happened uh, 20 years ago can't be undone, certainly the learning from it and moving forward as our two countries work together to make things better. I agree with
6: you. Thank you so much, Steve. And thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing about your experience in Iraq.
5: Yes, thank you as well, Shama. I really appreciated uh, talking with you and, and best of luck.
4: I thought that was a beautiful example of getting right, not ignoring the past and the pain that it caused, but acknowledging one another's intentions and the impacts of their actions and that the hope that can be birthed when we do that. It doesn't always end that way. It seems sometimes uh, lots of time is needed in order to have a reconciliation moment. It was 20 years uh, before they were able to have that conversation. Thankfully, though, we have one whose intentions are good and who took on the impact of all of our bad actions, all of our bad decisions, whose life was given for the sake of our humanity, whose resurrection does and can and does change everything. My friends, the resurrect news of the resurrection is consequential. It's the good news that saved Paul and it saves us that even when we find ourselves stuck in sin and death, there is freedom that can be experienced through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resurrection news was consequential. It's the good news that anchors our faith and it even binds us together as a community and casts a shadow over all of the differences that exist between us. And it's the good news that gives us hope for reconciliation between one another and between our God, not just now, here and now, and today, but also for all of eternity. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
1: Friends, if resurrection news is consequential, and it is, then how is your heart stirring, and how is the Spirit awakening your soul to respond? Would you stand and let's sing together?
4: Friends, Christ is risen from the dead and his resurrection news is consequential and it's an invitation for us to be reconciled with one another and with our God. As you go this week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace, my friends.